Josh Porter, and this is the Van City Church Podcast. The following teaching is part one in our annual Advent series, The Long Winter Breaks. This time of year, uh, I drive slow through my neighborhood, slower than usual anyway. I make my way up Columbia, looking left and right, watching for houses festooned with twinkling ropes of light that make their way up across dripping rain gutters and up shingled rooftops. I watch for the one glowing nativity scene I know of. I squint, not wanting to miss wreaths with red bows and plastic snowmen and waving Santas. And I soundtrack the scene with carols, both classic and contemporary my car's heater fighting the freezing chill beyond the protective glass and chrome. I turn the corner down Franklin Street to see the house is really done up this time of year, and I take side street detours to show the kids a few great houses hiding here and there. Look, this one has the leg lamp in the window. Or over there, that one has a Grinch on the roof. And if you watch closely, you can see families come together through windows. I'm not making this up. You can see parents huddled with their children as Home Alone or Elf flickers on television sets and plumes of gray smoke spiral upward out of chimney tops. You can see living rooms with shimmering garlands and blinking colored pine trees. And the word peace starts showing up everywhere on decorative holiday banners and in pop covers of old hymns issuing from every speaker in every store. Peace on earth, peace on earth. And we tell stories about that peace as if it were a wonderful kind of truth that covers all the world at Christmas time like snow and as bell ringers call for donations and toy drives accumulate dolls and action figures and everyone gets a little nicer and a little less horrible, at least for a little bit. But really, the world stays horrible. Somewhere in my cozy little neighborhood, Someone is abusing their children. They're somewhere not so far from the glowing plastic nativity. Someone is withering from cancer. All up and down Columbia and 45th, people are anxious and distraught, and kids try to fall asleep, tuning out the sound of their mom shouting at her new boyfriend, or a dad wonders how he'll pay December's rent. And up and out of the city, There comes another mass shooting, and up and out of the country, there's civil war, and in secret pockets of this great, big, deep, dark world, people are hurting one another and themselves in ways so fantastically evil that to even hear about them would rattle the faith of even the most optimistic believer at Christmas time. At Christmas, we talk about everything changing in a world where the only constants seem to be evil, suffering, and death. And when I say these things, many of us can't help but wonder whether by bold declaration or in the secret dark corners of our hurting hearts is the light in the darkness, the hope of Christmas, a cheap plastic bulb that will dim and go dark. Is it an affectation, an empty ritual of no greater hope or significance than mall decorations or cotton snow? Where is God in the dark, hurting world at Christmas time? This is, in many ways, the question of Advent. Today, like Levi said, is the first Sunday of Advent, a sacred season of the church calendar with origins impossible to fully trace or date. Centuries ago, 
Christians set a fixed date for Christ Mass, which was the celebration of the incarnation of God in the birth of Jesus. And they deliberately set it during December solstice, a time of cold and dark when remembering the one called the light of the world was a welcome relief to frigid isolation of winter. And then by the fourth century, we have official church writings acknowledging the observation of Advent. And by the fifth and sixth centuries, Advent was well represented in church history, as was the idea of the Advent sermon series, what we're doing right now. This thing in which we are participating is happening all over the world amongst disciples of Jesus and has been for hundreds and hundreds of years. But the advent of church history had nothing to do with chocolates and countdown calendars. For Christians, advent was about the recognition of and meditation on two incredible realities unfolding in the midst of an awful period of waiting. The word advent comes from the Latin adventus, which itself translates the Greek word parousia, a word utilized by the scriptures to explain two incredible events in history. Jesus' first arrival amongst humanity in flesh and blood and an eventual return of Jesus in glory at the renewal of all things. Advent acknowledges both things and with them the recognition of the space in between which is where we are, the waiting, the awful darkness of waiting and the light that pierces that darkness, the light of hope. I love Christmas. I always have. I love it more than anyone in this room. (laughs) In fact, I'm the pastor of Christmas, (laughs) self-appointed. I've been saying it for years, but the overseers have done nothing to officiate this in any way. I love nearly all things Christmas. I love all the music, including the very divisive Paul McCartney single, Wonderful Christmas Time. Yeah, yeah. And if you don't like that, it gets worse. Wonderful Christmas Time is the only thing I like from Paul McCartney. So deal with it. I read Dickens' A Christmas Carol every year. I watch at least three adaptations of the book every year, sometimes more, depending on how many are out at the time. If you're wondering, Robert Zemeckis' 2009 film starring Jim Carrey, Jim Carrey, Jim Carrey, Jim Carrey, Jim Carrey, uh, is the best adaptation of the source material, while The Muppet Christmas Carol is the best overall by way of pure joy. I love good and bad Christmas movies. I watch dozens every year. I love decorations, both classy and tacky, minimalist and maximalist. And with no one to impress, except you guys right now, I guess, uh, I sit alone writing in my office throughout the week listening to a 2.9 days-long Christmas playlist of my own design, which is only one of 10 Christmas playlists that I've curated over the years to set various moods for various genres of merrymaking walk around outside with Christmas music issuing from the phone in my back pocket so as to soundtrack festive uh, uh, occasions appropriately. Hanging Christmas lights on my roof, roaming a Christmas tree farm, for example, and people walk by, and I hear them ask one another, where the heck is that music coming from? Do you hear it? And I let them believe that it's just Christmas spirit in the air. It follows me, you know. I am the pastor of Christmas. It's like that last scene in A Wonderful Life, everywhere I go this time of year, except... I should go on record as saying again, (laughs) and no one likes this, It's a Wonderful Life isn't actually a Christmas movie. It's a, uh, you know, it's a two-hour sleeping pill with five minutes of Christmas at the end. (laughs) 
But listen, you have to make these kinds of discriminating and also often divisive decisions uh, to be the pastor of Christmas. <laughs> Otherwise, they don't let you do it. My point is... <laughs> This is the levity, by the way. My point is that long before I knew about Advent, I did not, I grew up in the church, but not with Advent. Before I knew about the rich tradition and the history of Advent, the theological significance of Advent, long before I became a pastor or finished seminary or preached any sermons, let alone Christmas sermons, I already loved Christmas. And I'm not ashamed to admit, I did and do love all the trappings, both sacred and secular, holy and commercial. I can't help it. I love it all. And so I forget often at Christmas the story in that warm rush of buzzing nostalgia. I forget about the garden and the snake, about centuries of bloodshed and depravity and the, the long winter of the soul, about injustice and evil as looming gods over a dark, cold globe spinning indifferently throughout a lonely universe. And I don't think to ask, where was God? Where is God? At Christmas time. I forget about the deep cosmic profundity of such a question that elsewhere in the world, in dark corners of it, chaos reigns and evil has its way. That it is more than abstract and unthinkable secret evil, but it's what's in me and what's in us. Thousands of years ago, the prophet Isaiah lamented, all of us have become like one who is unclean. All of our righteous acts are like used menstrual rags. We all shrivel up like a leaf and like the wind, our sins sweep us away. No one calls on God's name or strives to lay hold of God for God has hidden his face from us and given us over to our sins. The world is a mess and all of us are making it. And few of us care with each pair of tennis shoes we purchase that enable towering conglomerates to traffic and enslave children, with each hamburger that contributes to oceans of toxic sludge dumped in water systems and smog billowing from industrial smokestacks, with every hour racked up on screen time reports that drive us further from empathy and engagement and relationship and deeper into loneliness and hatred and isolation with every venomous word, every dollar hoarded and spent on ourselves, on empty obligation while hunger and need rend the world, with every fuel cell of hatred piled on the burning altar of political idolatry and social media vitriol, beneath every complicated layer of evil, Somewhere deep in the oily, black, snake-tangled heart of the world's darkness is us, all of us. As Nick Cave sang with elegant simplicity in 1997, people just ain't no good. And as we gripe about delivery times and social obligations, as we lament the effects of inflation on our sprawling shopping lists elsewhere in the world, a kidnapped child spends her last Christmas in unseen agony. Elsewhere in the world, there's no good news from the doctor. Elsewhere, for yet another night, there will be no food for another family. Not far from here, a mother cradles an infant shivering in the freezing rainwater, bracing herself for another night on the streets as happy, tipsy young people step over her on their way to another holiday party. Elsewhere in the world, someone asks and keeps asking, where is the light 
in the darkness. In keeping with the psalmists of century prior, how long, Lord, will you forget us forever? Didn't you promise to do something? And Advent is a time when we, as disciples of Jesus, as the people of God, allow ourselves to sit in that reality and with those questions, to entertain their legitimacy like the people of God before us, to feel those haunting doubts and the hurt of the world pass over and through us. And then, and I would argue only then, we can come together and cup our freezing hands around the flickering candlelight of hope. Many of us, we'd rather not be bothered by the darkness. The darkness is an inconvenience, a disruption of our festivities and the rhythms of our otherwise comfortable lives, or we're afraid of what we might find in the void, so we look away. But the light of Advent arrives in the darkness, and only against the darkness of it can we recognize the incredible beauty of hope. In her wonderful volume on Advent, priest and theologian Fleming Rutledge writes this, Advent is designed to show that the meaning of Christmas is diminished to the vanishing point if we are not willing to take a fearless inventory of the darkness. It requires courage to look into the heart of darkness, especially when we are afraid we might see ourselves there. The authentically hopeful Christmas spirit has not looked away from the darkness, but straight into it. The true and victorious Christmas spirit does not look away from death, but directly at it. Otherwise, the message is cheap and false. Instead of pointing out someone else's sin, we confess our own. In our sins, we have been a long time. Advent begins in the dark. Advent finds us in that cold darkness each December solstice, when the sun, the light of the world, seems most distant, so that many hundreds of years ago, disciples of Jesus began to huddle together around the warmth of hope, around a promise, because before them, the people of God were waiting, just like us, for God to come and rescue his people from their sins, for God to make good on his promise to clean the mess of our own making. And so we remember the trustworthiness of God by remembering when everything changed, when he came. Advent begins in the dark. That amongst all this evil, amongst all this brokenness and corruption and sin, the incomprehensible mightiness of God became voluntarily frail. And the incredible bigness of God became voluntarily very small. And the good and beautiful God declared, if they will not leave the burning house, then I will go into the burning house myself and I will take them in my arms, and I will carry them to safety. God is coming to save us by becoming small and frail to meet us in our smallness and frailty. And if he came to save us once, he'll come to save us again. But Advent is about the time in between. This dark, sacred season is set between a scandalous beauty that's already taken place, the birth of Jesus, his life and death and, and resurrection, the inauguration of the kingdom of God, and a second glory yet to come, 
the renewal of all things, the resurrection from the dead. And that future hope exists because God came low to the manger. Before the cross, the manger. Both exemplify the great scandal of God's saving love. The resurrection is ever before us when we remember Christmas. Jesus came and Jesus will come again. But the light of hope is diminished when we refuse to acknowledge our deep need to be saved, when we hide beneath the fluorescent bulbs of department stores and before the glowing home screen of Amazon Prime, when we cover our ears to tragedy and hurt, when we drown evil and sorrow and sweet drinks and smother them in Christmas wrapping, we forget that this is our long winter. And when we forget the soul's winter, we likewise forget that it is coming to an end. But when we make time to peer into the darkness in both solidarity with those hurting and in defiance of evil itself, then we can let it break our hearts. And if we let it, compel us to the ever-burning fire of hope that we light again and again every Advent season. And we remember, Jesus came, he will come again. Again, Fleming, Fleming Rutledge writes this, it is Advent, it is dark and lonely and cold, and the master is away from home, yet he will come. Keep awake. Tonight, the first Sunday of the season, we remember the Advent or the coming, but not the fulfillment of God's promise to rescue. Not yet, anyway. And so we wait in the darkness, but not without hope. For each week leading to Christmas, we will light a single candle, one for every Sunday leading up to Christmas Eve as a symbol of our anticipation and expectation as we prepare our hearts for Christmas and for Jesus. And yes, in the time between Sundays, we'll decorate and celebrate, and we'll come together with family and friends with music and gifts and feasting, but we will also make space to acknowledge and remember the darkness in which we wait, not to be undone by it, but so that our songs of hope and celebration ring out through sanctuaries around the world as protest hymns against the way things are, with uncompromising hearts looking forward to the way things will be. This year, like the ones before it, that can be hard to do. For some of us more than others, Christmas, it ornaments everything. It soundtracks our grocery stores and decorates our street lamps. It crowds our calendars and squeezes our bank accounts. And in all of that, we can be drawn away from the subversive hope of Advent and into a superficial, half-pagan parody of something ancient and mysterious and beautiful. Well, don't get me wrong, again, I love all of it. I don't think that the secular festivities are evil or wrong. I don't care about the pagan origins of Christmas trees or Yule logs. I don't care what Starbucks puts on their little cups of their gross drink. <laughs> Advent, to me, is not about burning down the dearly loved traditions and trappings of the holidays so we can all feel miserable. It's about learning to redirect ourselves and one another to something greater over them all, something that lends more significance to all of it. 
And we can come together for the next few weeks and remember as we light one candle after another, allowing ourselves to sit in the grief of sin and to let that sadness light the fires of hope. God is coming to save his people. He came before and he will come again. As we occupy the space between, Advent draws our minds backward in time to the dark, sacred night in Bethlehem, and that night allows us to transport our hopeful hearts forward to a coming day when he comes again once and for all. And the only way we can truly prepare ourselves for the brilliance of that future hope is to stare into the darkness before the long winter breaks. The in-between in which you and I live embodies and proclaims the great paradox of salvation. If we allow our hearts to step into the darkness of the long winter, to remember our hurt and our ache and our longing, and if we wait, then the first glow of light will stir our anxious, anxious souls to fevered anticipation, and we will find ourselves before the manger on hands and knees in the dirt and manure amongst the stink of livestock with tear-streaked faces broken down in worship of the newborn king. And we will remember in the depths of our soul that he is more than an angelic cherub or a plastic lawn decoration or a charming church pageant that rather than descend a golden staircase from heaven protected by some impenetrable divine aura, he came to us in the darkness, in our darkness. God himself came to us, blood-streaked as babies do, soundtracked by his mother's cries of pain and struggle and by lowing cows and buzzing flies, That as our homes are filled with the delicious aroma of cinnamon and spruce, God arrived in the nauseating copper tinge of blood and the heavy fetid stink of waste. God came to us in the darkness of the long winter. At Advent, we ask, with all the world, where is the light and hope of Christmas in the darkness? We ask, with people hurting all over the world at Christmas time, where is God? And after we sit in the agony of that question, the waiting, we answer together with aching hearts, God is with us. And we then cry out in worship and celebration that he came to us in Jesus and he will come again. Amen. Let's pray and invite the Holy Spirit, to prepare our hearts for the coming of Jesus. Thanks for listening to Vance City. You can connect with us and find more teachings and available resources at www.vancity.church. You can support Vance City financially at vancity.church.